So welcome to this first episode of the Ecstasy Project. This is Nick Kinch and Grant Shepherd here. Uh, really excited to start to dive into this discussion of Tantra and how we open to ecstasy and bliss through our body. So Grant, would you like to say just a few words, introduce yourself? Sure. Um, hi, Nick. Hi, everybody. So. I started working with Tantra in uh, 1995. I received a traditional Tantric initiation, um, an energy infusion from my teacher and a state of meditation. And uh, from there, I started to work with the, diff the different embodiment practices, have always worked with meditation, um, recently really getting back into my meditation practice. And I've always had a passion about what Tantra means for gay men. What Tantra means for men who love men. Uh, can we work with it? Does it benefit us? Is there a way that we can actively engage? So um, that's what I teach. That's what I love. That's what I work with. And um, that's how I met you. All those years ago, it's been quite some time now. Yes, yes. It was, it was just at the start <laughs> of the pandemic, wasn't it? So, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, the so, Queer Heart Festival, remember? Yes, yes, I remember the yeah. festival where you were you were leading a session. So mm. yes, I met Grant through an online queer festival uh, of well-being, and uh, and was just really uh, thought this uh, is fascinating. It's like you know, I my journey has been from learning to meditate when I was twenty, going into a Buddhist tradition uh, initially through a Theravada focused approach. So having a lot of emphasis on celibacy and renunciation uh, and saying no. And so from, for me, from the age of 20 to 35, in various ways, I was involved in a celibate form of meditation practice, seeing sexuality as something to try and control uh, to hold down, to avoid. Mm. But there was no teaching about how to draw the, the sort of raw, fiery energy that I was trying to contain into my practice. And I think the thing I really enjoyed when I heard you talk, Grant, and then when we started working together was looking very much at, you know, how do we connect with that uh, creative force of the universe? Uh, that expresses itself through sexuality and sexual desire and sexual uh, expression. But how do I both contain it, also honour it, and also eventually surrender to the, the Kundalini energy that is, you know, wanting to, uh, to course through this, uh, this form? So, yeah, I've really enjoyed the work we've done together, Grant, and I thought it would be oh, great thank you, to have this conversation. Mm. So I loved what you said about the Kundalini energy and, uh, and, and Tantra and, and Sanskrit, which is considered to be um, the most ancient and complete spiritual language there is. So Shakti, Kundalini Shakti. Kundalini meaning literally the coiled one, the serpent. Shakti meaning the power, the, the energy, the power. Shakti literally means the root of Shakti, 
means to be capable of, means to be completely and supremely capable of everything. It's the energy that's created this whole universe. And then what happens is it, it contracts down into us and becomes dormant. And then through the practices of Tantra, we start to stir this energy. We start to wake it up through meditation, through chanting, through embodiment practices. We start to stir the energy and the energy starts to wake up. As a result, our creative process starts to really wake up. And according to Tantra, the most important, important creative process we can have is to be enlightened, is to be realized, is to be completely embodied and at the same time understanding ultimate reality. So um, this is something that I love about Tantra. And Tantra is not like a weekend course where you go and do a weekend course and go, oh, I have attained it all and now I will teach it and I'm perfect. Tantra mm. is something that, in my view, is, is unending. It's so vast. It's incredibly um, rich and there's so much to it. So it's a, like a deepening, deepening, deepening understanding of, it, of, of ourselves and um, a way of living. A way of living, a way of being, a way of engaging with this world. What would what would you say? You know, if someone were new to tantra, what would be a, an initial entry into that experience? Okay, well, I'd tell them a couple of things. I'd, I'd say, especially if they came to me uh, from the Western context, which a lot of people do, of course, and I'm a Westerner myself. I would say to them. Sex is this much <laughs> of Tantra. It's this much. Tantra is vast and sex is this much. But just because it's this much doesn't mean that it's not, a, that it's not important. It actually can be very important, especially for us in the West, where we are traumatized around sex, where we are shut down around sex, where we have been really forced to close down around sex. So what Tantra says is, this sexual energy, if it wasn't for this energy, not one of us would exist on this planet. So why are you giving it such a hard time? Why not actually appreciate it? Why not actually align with it? Why not actually understand it? And through doing that, understand who you are at a very deep level. Because there's not one person on the face of this planet who has not been born through this energy. This energy has created every single person on this planet. And as I said before, Shakti, creativeness, this creative energy. And also there's an element to this energy which is ecstatic. So the ecstasy project. Tantra was considered to be very dangerous because in a lot of the yogic traditions, it was all about restraining the senses. Restrain the senses, restrain the mind. Yoga Shittavriti Narodaha, Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. Yoga is the cessation of the thought waves in the mind. Right? That was yoga. Whereas Tantra is different. Tantra might say something like Svatantra, absolute freedom. There is nothing that is not absolute freedom all we have to do is understand it 
So they come from different angles. One from restriction, as you were talking about before, with meditation and restriction, and the other one from freedom, svatantra, absolute freedom, which is tantra. I love it. It's not easy. <laughs> as you know, you've been practicing it for a while. And surrendering to that energy and actually just letting go into that energy, that takes some work to be able to surrender. But when that surrender happens, then there's a freedom that comes from that. There's an absolute freedom, Svatantra, that comes from that surrender. Mm. Yes. So what's, what's the first level of surrender then in that process? Well, I'd say the first level of surrender is understanding that there's something bigger than us. I mean, nowadays with social media, it's all about constructing a self, right? So I'm Grant and I have such a fantastic life and I do this and I do that and I go on this holiday and I go here and I go there and isn't it all wonderful? And I'll show you all the best parts. You know, I won't show you the shitty parts. I won't show you the difficult parts. I'll show you the best parts. And then you, you can get an understanding of who I am artificially through social media because I will construct that self for you. Mm. Whereas Tantra is actually about surrendering and deconstructing. Tantra, in a very real sense, isn't really about learning. It's about unlearning. Unlearning all the things that we think that we possibly are or that we possibly might need or that we possibly might do or have or be doesn't necessarily mean that we have to sit on a rock somewhere away from the rest of the world and go, I will now be completely disengaged. What it basically means is step in, play your part, really enjoy it, relish it, and yet understand at the same time that you are much more than the limited part that you are playing. Mm. So one of the first things I'd say to people about Tantra is it's only about this much sex, but if you want to learn about that and learn how to, to intelligently work with the sexual energy, there's no better path than Tantra to teach you that because it will teach you how to do that with respect. It will teach you how to do that with intelligence. And it will teach you how to do that with bliss and ecstasy. Yes, and also letting go of shame. Oh, for sure. That blocks us completely. And as gay men, I mean, have we had shame, Nick? Have we had shame? I mean, recently, didn't we have a lovely person just saying that um, homosexuality is some sort of imbalance of the mind? Yes, and it's a reminder that even in a modern world where we feel there is so much more tolerance and uh, allowing, there, there, there's still this very strong current in parts of the world and even you know closer to home of people who are still really embedded in that perspective that there, there is something either wrong, immoral or bad uh, about being gay, yeah. trans, white, queer. Yeah, and yeah. so um, yes, part of the ecstasy project is about embracing that sense of this is who I am, and mm. coming to a place of being able to celebrate it. I think that's why that 
obviously you were indicating, you know, sex is this much of Tantra and just making a very small gesture between your thumb and finger. So it's like in the, in the teaching, you know, Tantra isn't really all about sex. It's about awakening. It's about that's right. connecting with that universal life force energy symbolized as Kundalini that can then burn through your system and open you and cleanse. But how do we start that? Well, my question for myself when I left the monastery at 35 was how do I engage with an effective spiritual life when so much of my core life force energy is encased in this feeling of, of shame? Yeah. When my sexual expression and my, my expression as a gay man is uh, sort of polluted by encased in this this feeling that uh i don't really deserve to be here or i uh i don't deserve to allow myself to experience this this sexual sensual pleasure now the buddha interestingly the buddha said that enlightenment alone is bliss and his whole emphasis was actually opening more and more to bliss and there's some some traditions where they say that you know the buddha saved some of his inner teachings for closer disciples and so what became tantra in buddhism wasn't generally well known to everyone because it wouldn't just be taught to a crowd in 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 in, in a street when the buddha was teaching everyone but he there were these little hints and 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 he this saying of you know enlightenment alone is bliss and so the deepest bliss is when we come to that place of a freedom within ourselves. but then how do i taste bliss when one of the most raw experiences and maybe a, a relatively coarse experience of bliss but the sexual bliss that we can have in our body when when there's shame is shutting that down I, I work as a sort of sacred, intimate uh, practitioner. I sort of do body work, massage, as well as meditation and coaching. Mm. Mm. And in both cases, but particularly when I'm working with people physically, I notice how often people uh, or the men that I work with are disconnected from being able to go into that bliss. You know, they run quickly to get towards an orgasm. They come for a massage and all they want is to have some sexy time of, you know, that's going to bring them to a climax. And the moment they've had the climax, shame washes over them and they're feeling like, okay, we, yeah, I need to go now. Um, as a culture, we don't know how to hold the intensity of the, uh, the gift of Kundalini. You know, so even yeah. when we do get what we're chasing and we get that orgasm, then suddenly there's a crash afterwards. That's right. Yeah. That's that's one thing that I actually really, really love about the teachings of both Tantra and the Chinese teachings of Taoism. Ejaculation and orgasm are not the same. Ejaculation is a discharge of energy. It's like a building of energy, building of energy, building of energy, building of energy. Ah, ejaculation. Let it go. Right? It's gone. Let it go. Now, 
both Tantra and Taoism say if you actually can hold that energy rather than letting it go, if you can start to recirculate that energy through things like the microcosmic orbit or the cobra breath or whole body orgasm, if you can start to really work with that energy, you can move past the need to ejaculate and you can start to have an orgasm in your whole body. From the tips of your hair on your head to the tips of your toes, you can be in absolute full body orgasm ecstasy. But it takes a little bit of practice. And it takes the understanding that your gratification might be delayed. And it takes a training. So the training is, okay, I'm not going to rush towards the ejaculation anymore. I'm going to go close to the ejaculation and I'm going to relax into that feeling of bliss and ecstasy that is close to ejaculation, but not quite. And I'm going to let it wash through my whole body. Mm. And I'm going to let it start to galvanize me. And I'm going to start to let it be part of my being. And in Tantra, it's called often Samavesha, penetrating into ecstasy. Of course, being Tantra, it's all about penetrating and being penetrated. But in the yogic tradition, it's also called Samadhi, which is ecstasy. Ecstasy, as you were saying about the Buddha. It's about learning how to own our ecstasy. And through Tantra, and what happens is when we start to work with these full body orgasms, we vibrate higher and higher and higher and higher and higher to the point that we don't even think it's an orgasm. It's just ecstasy. It's well-being. It's our natural nature. It's our natural well-being. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that's one thing in the West that I find, and it's something I work a lot with the people that I, I, I work with. Ejaculation and orgasm are not the same. And as men, we have the absolute ability to be multi-orgasmic. And we can actually bring on, over time, when we work with these practices, we can bring on a full body orgasm just like that. Mm. Just like that. But it's quite interesting. One of the people that I'm working with at the moment, he's a wonderful man. And um, we're working to bring up his erectile um, function after he had a heart event. And uh, he could not get erect at all. And now after about four months, he's getting quite strong erections. Mm. But not only that, he's saying to me things like, the well-being I'm feeling, the ecstasy I'm feeling, the joy I'm feeling, the bliss I'm feeling, this is all coming to me. I didn't expect any of this. And I said to him, well, this is a natural aspect of the work that we're doing together. You're starting to uncover that natural ecstasy through your practice. Yeah. Mm. It's a real thing. If it wasn't real, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a silly man. I wouldn't waste my time. I'd do something else. Yes. But as you know, because you've touched it as well, it's a real thing. And the deeper we go into it, the more we understand that it's that our natural, our natural state of well-being. Yes, yes, and so we just need to move through those areas of, of block or limiting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And if you it... let the energy run, if you let the energy run, 
the energy will remove those blocks because that's the whole point of the energy. The energy wants to take us to deeper self-realization. So if shame is something that's holding us back or fear is something that's holding us back or fear of intimacy is holding us back, the more we let that energy run, the more it's going to clear those blocks. The more the blocks are cleared, the more the energy can run. The more the energy can run, the more it clears the blocks. The more blocks are cleared, the more the energy can run. Mm. You see how it's a beautiful, and it works that way. And I'm sure you've seen it, and you said this to me. Men, and especially men who love men, we have a lot of shame and a lot of guilt, and we close ourselves down. We don't want to be intimate. Having a lot of sex and being intimate are two very different things. Yes. Two very different things, and I think we get them confused sometimes. And then we add other things to it, like alcohol or drugs or, you know, I've met many men that I work with who have said to me at the beginning, I can't, I can't actually connect sexually without some sort of substance on board. Mm. And I'm not judging because in the gay community, that's, that's there. And I've gone through it and, you know, many, many people have gone through that sort of thing. But it's learning how to connect without the intermediary of the substance to numb us down because intimacy is somehow scary. That's the dilemma, isn't it? Sometimes for us as gay, mm. queer or bi men, it's like mm. or, uh, trans, it's you know, the, the object of our desire is also deeply rooted in an early traumatic experience of being with the boys at school, being excluded, going yep. into your group or going getting closer to a man is also connected with the feeling of having been other or excluded so yeah uh, i remember i was in a workshop recently and someone was talking about that experience as, as a gay man of walking into a club which was a mixed club it was a social event and sort of looking around to try and find a table where they could sit where they would feel safe mm. uh, because we're we're sort of primed from that early age of, of of feeling is it safe to show who i am am i in a space where i feel safe uh yeah do i need to protect myself here are there people i can find and then the paradox is the people that we both feel safe with our sort of queer brothers it's like at the same time we we get a sense of threat because it's a there's an echo and a reminder of being in that group of boys and uh so then we numb ourselves or find a way to to feel comfortable yeah yeah and to move past that fear or that shame or that, that exclusion that we might have experienced when we were being bullied or excluded or sidelined or you know, often one thing I like to remind myself, especially when I'm teaching at retreats or when I'm preparing for a retreat, is that often in the past we were considered to be the two spirits. We were considered to be the shamans. We were considered to be the mystics who could equally align with the feminine or the masculine energy um, at will. And this made us not only very powerful, but very dangerous. We're dangerous with the shamans, we're the mystics, we're the two spirits. So then through colonialization, 
we were made to be outcasts. I mean, you're a faggot. Okay, great. So the faggot is the piece of wood that you put under the witch to burn the witch. So you're lower than the witch. But of course, the witch itself is extremely powerful and a symbol of all that organized religion is scared of. You can embody the power within you. You don't need the organized religion. So if that's the case, and you're a witch and you're saying that, well, you're a threat, so we've got to get rid of you. And also these homosexuals as well, we'll make them lower than even you. We'll make you really unworthy. And uh, we'll, we'll make sure that you're a faggot and we'll burn you. We'll burn you. You can be the instrument through which a witch gets burned. So in my view, organized religion has done a great disservice to us. I'm not talking about the mystics. The mystics themselves have realized God at a very immediate place within themselves. So it would be very rare to hear a mystic dismiss someone, through, be it their sexuality or, or their particular um, religious viewpoint. A mystic wouldn't do that because a mystic has understood the God that God, the G word, that exists within, you know. Mm. So um, there was a, when I was doing my degree, there was a particular um, man, I'm not going to name him, but he were, he became the head of the Jesuit priests. And he was in charge of them. And there were all these exercises that the Jesuits could use to transmute their sexual energy from around their lingam from their penis, from their, their sex center, and the energy could then move upwards so that they wouldn't become sexually frustrated and they wouldn't find that the sexual energy was too difficult to work with. And because this man thought that the sexual energy was not holy, he removed all those exercises, thereby contributing to the suffering of thousands of men. Mm thousands possibly more well that's the problem when when we make sexual energy itself wrong uh or yeah controlled uh, yeah rather than celebrating it for uh, as a universal cosmic spark of uh mm. power and mm. Maybe that's one reason that those organized religions dislike sort of gay and queer people, because it's like, you know, we are just purely celebrating our sexual uh, joy and there's no reason for it. We're not procreating, we're not seeking right. to bring up a, a, a new life form where, it, you know, mm. sex between men or women is simply mm. there as an expression of, of joy and ecstasy and uh pleasure um mm. of course what the, and, and it's like it can be like that for straight people but what the church did was that it made it wrong for everyone but yeah justified good on you have children <laughs> yeah you can only do it if you're going to have children don't you dare have fun unless you're going to have a child yes <laughs> even then don't enjoy it just do it <laughs> don't enjoy it just do it 
get it over and done with, do your duty. Oh, goodness me. You know, some of the tantric um, scriptures, um, they talk about this. They say you can, you can have progeny in one of two ways. Either you can have the progeny that um, puts feet on the face of the planet, so children, or you can have the child of enlightenment. You can have the child of realization. Mm. Your choice. You can decide what you want to do. But both ways involve working with the sexual energy, understanding the sexual energy, understanding how to cultivate it, how to build it, how to channel it, how to work with it, how to intelligently work with it. And it will bring it up. It will show you your blocks. It will show you your shame. It'll show you your disconnect. You're going to see all of that stuff because the energy has to show you it. So it comes up to the light of consciousness. So you can see it and go, ah, there it is. Okay, got to let that go. Mm. Or maybe not. But it's in the light of my awareness now and I can see it for what it is. Yes. Mm. Yes, it's so important to bring these things into consciousness because otherwise... Mm. We keep living out old patterns and uh, the, the, the patterns seek to perpetuate themselves through the choices we make so that we just stay in a familiar place. Yeah. And whether so it's true. meditation or, or working through Tantra, it's, it's sort of bringing what is not known into, into consciousness. Yeah, I love that. You bring up a really good point too, which is, and you know, you asked me before, if someone wanted to learn about Tantra, what would I say to them? And one of the first things I'd say to them is Tantra is about meditation. You must meditate. If you're going to practice Tantra, you need to meditate. It's about realization. Yes, it can use the sexual energy. Yes, you can use your senses. Yes, you can use pleasure and bliss and delight, but essentially you must meditate. It is a, it is a path of realization. It always has been. Mm. But whereas with yoga, yoga is about restraint, yama niyama, the restraints, restraints and observances. And it's a beautiful, venerable path. There's nothing wrong with it. It's beautiful. And it suits some people to go there. Tantra, in my view, is perhaps a little bit more compassionate. So it says things like, okay, if you want to be one-pointed, go and smell that rose. Mm. But instead of smelling the rose like you normally might do, like this, go like this. And sip in that beauty and bring it right down to your heart. And let that ecstasy of the fragrance of the rose permeate your entire being. And in this way, through the senses, touch ecstasy, touch bliss. Right here, right now, doesn't have to be on a mountaintop. Anywhere you are, start to understand and touch and become established in that bliss. That's what I love about Tantra. And it's, it's basically saying, no need to go anywhere. It's right here, right now. Just turn to it and understand it. Mm. Mm. Yes. 
And so that could be the bliss of a rose. It could be the bliss of a caress of a lover or. That's right. The bliss of taste, taste. tasting a delicious chocolate going right into that. The bliss of touch, touching um, your favorite cat's fur as you're patting that cat, you know, mm. smelling freshly mown grass, savoring each breath rather than doing this and then wondering why we're getting so stressed in the head, mm. going, being there yes being in the ecstasy of that tantra is so radically dangerous because it says realization is available to you right here right now all you have to do is surrender to it and understand it and be it and be a bit of a badass <laughs> commit to it go for it don't sit on the fence jumping yeah i've had that experience through five rhythms dancing where mm. um, when i came to london at 35 i'd never really felt comfortable dancing the only times i danced had been at school discos um when uh, <laughs> um, um, I, I was the boy that took abba singles along to the school disco which it was oh, a part of the, you, the, the music it was a music <laughs> class and we, we sort of had an hour where we could all just instead of having a music class we all brought our own records in and the teacher would then play them and and you know of course so i brought in abba and uh everyone was like oh it's like you know like i mean abba was not considered cool in my teenage years um yeah. and and then even the thought of being seen to move or it was just like uh so when when i came to to five rhythms dance uh, which was developed by gabriel roth as a as a movement practice to actually come to ecstasy as well um i just realized how blocked my body felt and for the first few months or even year of, of going to those classes, I just moved with this feeling of, I can't take up space. I don't deserve to take up space and uh, explored coming to that edge where it felt that this is as much space as I can occupy. And then it's just a bit like pushing through that bubble. What's it like if I now open up a bit more, expand a bit more? And, and feel the the energy in my body and and do it all sober so that I, I got to a point where I could go to nightclubs and go dancing and I'd be I remember being with a friend and I was getting ready I was going out saying Gosh, okay great let's go and have a dance and he said oh, no I'm not drunk enough yet um yeah yeah. And so it's that same thing of it's like, I can't let go into the ecstasy until I'm drunk enough and then I can let yeah. go. Yeah, I hear you. And that's also what's happening for a lot of men around chemsex as well. I can't let go into the ecstasy unless I'm intoxicated. Mm. I can't have sex unless I've got some sort of substance on board. Yes. 
I can't. And really, when that what that comes down to is, I'm not comfortable being truly intimate with someone, being seen or seeing someone else. So I need some sort of intermediary in the way. Mm. Whereas what tantra does is it strips all that back, and it says, "How present can you be?" You know? And a lot of tantric work, you shouldn't have any intoxicant on board unless you're doing like a left-handed path practiced you know, most of the time your consciousness needs to be very very clear mm. because you're looking at the subtleties of consciousness looking at the fear and letting it go looking at the shame and letting it go being in the present moment and one thing i say to people when they're doing couples work is i say okay what do you suggest or what do you think is the most important thing that you need to do when you're with a partner and you're doing couples tantric work, so you might be doing eye gazing or yab or you know, all sorts of different classical tantric postures you know, in order to you know, elevate, elevate your consciousness. So I ask them, what's the most important thing? And they'll say to me, oh, well, I need to become very focused on my partner. And then I say, no, no, no. Become as deeply 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 rooted in yourself as you can go deep into yourself go as deeply into yourself as you can when you go to that place within yourself then you meet your partner mm. and your partner can decide whether they want to go deep as well too and then you can meet each other otherwise you're always pulled out you're not ever in your center. So go as deeply into your center as you can. And then from that place, connect. Mm. From that place, connect. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think that can be exciting and terrifying for people. Terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> and ecstatic. <laughs> and, you know, the, the bliss, the energy that comes with that, you yeah. know. And yeah. you'll be buzzing for like hours afterwards. No? Yeah, I've, I've got a, a lover who I'm seeing quite frequently. And um, in maybe about the second time we met, um, he, he'd already come. So he'd had a physical orgasm. And but mm. um, I was then as he was lying there, I was then just exploring his his body and bringing attention mm. into his body as he mm. felt the the after effects of that and and we're sort of working around that sort of sex center just underneath the tummy button just gently mm. massaging there and then mm. extending my fingertips up his chest and down his arms and then back down uh to above the pubic bone just exploring his cock and balls and then coming down his legs and so i was just very in my sense of really enjoying his body i you know really being really present in my experience i didn't feel i needed to come at that moment i was just really enjoying my sensation of touch and also the feedback loop of, of seeing the little quivers in his body as I explored different areas, seeing his breath, uh, 
um, hearing those little sort of moans. And, and so this sort of continued for a while and I was then asking him, so what, what are you feeling in your body now? And he said, it's amazing. It's like, I just feel this tingling going all the way down my arms into my fingers. Oh. This tingling is going all the way down into my legs. Uh, and it's just my whole body feels like it's, it's vibrating. So that sense of like by staying totally present in myself and in a way a, almost a sort of selfish enjoyment because I was just in, I was very present to my enjoyment of his body, but then that was allowing me to be very present to him and to bring yeah. him to a deeper experience of orgasm than just a few moments of ejaculating. Yeah, for sure. And I would, all, I would say that from my perspective, it's not selfish at all because what you're actually doing is you're becoming very deeply connected to yourself. And as a result, you can then connect very deeply with him at a very deep level. I would say that selfishness is blocking and keeping ourselves separate and away because, oh my God, I need to be separate from this person because it's too terrifying to be connected. Mm. But to actually really deeply connect with your energy and also his energy at the same time, well, there's no deeper connection than that. And that energy, you know, often I'll say to people when we start working together, you know, I say Tantra is about energy and they go, oh, woo-woo, oh gosh, that's all woo-woo stuff. And then they start to touch the energy. And they're like, oh my God, it's, it's true. It is energetic. It is an energy experience. It is an experience of vibrating, scintillating, ecstatic energy. And it can get more and more and more and more and more intense. Mm. And you can have a plateau orgasm. And you can have a valley orgasm. And you can have a peak orgasm. You can have an orgasm of the heart or an orgasm of the third eye or an orgasm of, a cr of the crown. All of these things are possible. But what I would say is, it's important not to get hooked on the pleasure. Mm -hmm. Don't get hooked on the pleasure alone because essentially all these higher states of ecstasy are about taking us to higher states of realisation, of self-knowledge. And that's the whole point of Tantra. And over time we learn how to do that more and more and more. Mm -hmm. And I would say that it's an unending journey. So... It's not like you'll say, I, Nick, or I, Grant, have now attained the absolute. There is nothing more for me to attain. I am now perfect. Everyone bow down to me, bitches. You know, it's not. <laughs> no, no, no. I would say it's absolutely and utterly unending because how could you ever limit that which is absolutely everything? How are you going to limit that? How are you going to put that in a little box and say, I've attained it all. Oh, what's that? Mm. What's that? What's all? Mm. I would say the way that we attain it all is to go, oh, my God, I'm never going to understand it all. <laughs> <laughs> and to surrender into that. And then it's always new. The, the Buddha, when he talked about enlightenment, indicated that, in a sense, what we consider enlightenment is simply a point on the horizon beyond which we can't see. 
And so there's no point in him saying more than what is needed to bring us to that point on the horizon. But once we're there, then that isn't a final resting point. That isn't the end. It, it's simply we continue from that new perspective, that new, That's right. more free, open flow of energy that we've become. Yeah, deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Mm. Yeah. And um, I mean, what a wonderful way to live. I wouldn't necessarily say it's an easy way to live. <laughs> but then again, I would say that ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is pain. Yes. And that waking up really is the only game in town. And then when it's time to wake up, then we wake up. And then we go, oh, shit, everything's different. Oh, my God. Okay, what now? Mm. And then it's that ongoing surrender and trust in the process and just going deeper and deeper and deeper into our own being and understanding the, the majesty of that place, the value of that place, the... Um, surety of that place that you know nothing else can compare to that you know not even the kardashians (laughs) 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 or the latest you know the latest bag or the latest pair of shoes or the latest whatever Mm. the latest um abdominal workout all of that stuff goes, all of that stuff is finite, all of that stuff. Mm. There was a very um, wonderful saint in Maharashtra, Bhagawan Nityananda, and he used to say, Mati, Mati, Mati. Dust, dust, dust. Mm. <laughs> it's all dust. Meditate, know the self, everything else is dust. Mm doesn't mean that that dust can't be quite pretty at times, but as long as we understand that it's dust, then we can have a different viewpoint. Yes, yeah, so it's coming to that um, ever sort of deeper sense of, of, of where we find joy, where we find ecstasy. And, mm. But maybe it's important to have that sense that we are, it's a bit like sort of, climbing a ladder we we sort of start with the rungs where we are we don't sort of look at the rungs which seem to be somewhere celestial and sort of think i mean that was the problem i had when i started i i heard people talking about celibacy and that celibacy was the highest form of spiritual practice and that that's how you should live and i from being a newly fledged gay who'd only just about a year earlier started uh having sex and, and, and being okay with being gay, I immediately shut down. And I think there was a sort of inner homophobia that um, took this spiritual teaching and applied it to the feeling of discomfort I felt. Mm. Sexual. And it's like, well, now I can avoid being sexual because I'm... Being- that's right. Yeah, push it away. <laughs> yeah. Because exactly. I'm so holy. I don't have to go there anymore. I can transcend it all. I'm very holy. Yes. Whereas, you know, celibate could also mean, you know, celibate here, celibate there. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> some of us don't even sell it. We just give it away <laughs> for the joy of it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it reminds me of that joke of the monk sitting in the church going, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. And his friend comes over and goes, what's wrong? And he goes, all this time it's been a mistranslation. It's not celibate. It's celebrate. <laughs> celebrate. <laughs> oh. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing I love about Tantra. It's celebrating the sexual energy. Because as I said before, if it wasn't for that, would you exist? Would I exist? Would anybody exist? Mm. Even Action Man in the background, he wouldn't exist. Because, yes, he's a hunk of plastic, but someone had to make the mold and pour that plastic into the mold and make him how he is. So yes. he exists through us. Yes. Yes, it's that whole sort of tendency to, to create. Um, so there's a reason uh, my Action Man is sitting here, actually. Um, oh, yes. Oh, uh, my he God. He's so hot. He's a hard action man. Yeah. Look at him. He's so butch. Yeah. Usually, yeah. So we were talking about shame and, and one of the things I, I run workshops on is, is looking at minority stress and this experience oh, yeah. of growing up and being told in yes. some way that who you are is not welcome here. Yes, that's right. Your sexuality, your gender, your the color of your hair, the color of your skin, and yep. just that toxic impact of, of minority stress on, on our yep. identity. And one of my first moments of overlapping moments of feeling minority stress was when I was about eight and I was given an action man. Uh, not this one, but one very similar. And mm. I remember running up to my bedroom and being so excited because it was like I had a little man and yeah. I could run up into my bedroom and pull his trousers down. <laughs> and I was going like, to find out. What, what and it was just I a lump, <laughs> a lump of plastic. And literally it's like, it's just this lump of Yeah, that's all of plastic. And I ran down to yeah. my, where my uncle and my cousin were uh, in the kitchen brandishing this little man now with his trousers around his ankles going there's nothing there there's nothing there there's nothing there <laughs> uh, they both gave me a very funny look um laughed and also looked a bit awkward and as a little boy i i, I registered okay there's something wrong here like you know I shouldn't be showing this curiosity or I've just been given this action man and I should be maybe going and taking him into some battle or yeah and uh instead I'm trying to seduce him and pull down his trousers yeah. <laughs> sort of like, yeah, right. so, so there was one of those moments of like this this uh veil coming down and feeling there's something here i need to hide and i i don't know quite what it is but there's something about me that's not being received um yeah. and of course we we have these layers of being told again and again you know you're wrong um this isn't accepted about you 
Um, mm. I remember another thing was when uh, I was watching a comedy program and there was a, a monk, uh, a Christian monk, standing in a with a, a line with two monks either side of him. Uh, and then this beautiful woman walked past and one of the monks on the left lost his halo. Uh, and uh, the other two monks looked very pleased with themselves and sort of, uh, and then another beautiful woman walked past and the other monk on the right lost his halo. And the monk in the middle is like, they were like, oh, wow, respect, look at you, no, no sexual thoughts at all, you, you know, you're a real saint. And then a man walked past uh, and uh, the monk in the middle lost his halo. Yeah. So, you know, that would have been funny because it would have been looking at how we make assumptions and we, we, we look at things from a, a, pre, a, a basis of assuming that they were all heterosexual. But then what happened was the two monks on either side of him started to back away. And yeah. That's left right. alone and just yes. shamefaced. Yeah. I was I was eight years old again or nine and I remember seeing it and just thinking like, oh, that's going to be me. So then everything we've been talking about, you know, the sense of shame, the sense of not being able to fully be present in myself or, or feel a sense of really being like alive and open to to my experience. It's like those of us who have been in a minority, we often have had reasons to shut down in order to feel safe, in order to guard ourselves, in order to not expose ourselves to the ridicule or danger of, of a society or group that we feel, you know, we can't be who we are with. But the sad thing is that we then, as an adult, come into connection with others, but there's still that sense of hiding. Yeah. I totally hear you. I think that would be a really good subject for another podcast when we just dive into what minority stress is and um, what it is from the viewpoint of spiritual practice or tantra or meditation or how can these things help us with minority stress. But say, for example, if it was me being eight and I was given the action man, I'd be like, just give me the friggin' Barbie. <laughs> Where the hell is a Barbie? Give me the Barbie. I want the dresses and I want the dress up. <laughs> and there's nothing fucking wrong with that. You know, it's like this is part of celebrating who we are and, and our polarities within us, you know. And it's like, don't give me that action man with that lump for a lingam. You know, where is his lingam? It's not even there. You know, you've desexualized him. You've hypersexualized him in one way. I'm a big, strong man, but I don't have a dick. It's like, goodness me, you know, mixed messages. Yes. But then same for Barbie. You know, Barbie didn't have a nong nong, did she? Mm. And she had boobs, but no nipples. It's like, okay, let's give you a representation of hypersexualization, but we'll also completely, completely cut it away. So there's no sexuality there at all. So when you look and you go, well, there's nothing there. There's not. Mm. Mm. And that I think is very, very common in the West. 
have as much sex as you do, but, uh, you know, have as much sex as you want and do and have it. But if you do, you're a slut. You're bad and you're wrong and you're going to hell. But we will use sex to sell everything. A new car, quick, get the tits out. You know, it's like, you know, it's like, it's terrible. It's objectifying people, right? Mm. Or it's, and men too, you know, oh, I'm, I'm a sauvage with this new aftershave or, you know, it's like, oh, for God's sake, you know, we're just using sex to sell stuff and yet we're terrified of it. Mm. We're so utterly terrified of it. But then Tantra would say, well, the reason you're terrified of it is because it's the, it's the energy that's created the entire universe. And without this universe being created by this energy, there would be nothing. This energy is created at all. So, of course, you should be terrified of it. You should stand there in awe of it. Hmm. Well, this is the introduction to the Ecstasy Project. And we're going to be returning to, to keep exploring, really, what is ecstasy? How do we open more to it? Uh, how do we celebrate uh, this sexual energy that is within us that doesn't necessarily have to be expressed simply through sex itself, but uh, through that creative process? How do we connect yeah. with a sense of creative energy in us that we bring into the world? How do we enjoy when we are having sex? How do we really enjoy sex without those layers of shame and that feeling of being wrong? How do we come into it in a way that allows us to experience the nurture of, of, of being fully present in ourselves and having someone else fully present to us and seeing us in all our raw vitality, letting go of the, the, the fear and the shame? Uh, I remember a, a sexological body worker I was doing work with, he once said, you know, uh, you can't have uh, quiet sex and good sex. <laughs> he was saying, like, learn how to, you know, feel okay with making sound. And so maybe yeah, that's right. another one we can explore, you know, how do you let go into, into expressing yourself and allowing sound and uh, letting go around the throat chakra when when you're yeah. uh, experiencing that. Yeah. But I think our next episode, from what you you've pointed to, actually, you know, let's make our next episode minority stress and and looking at that. Yeah, I think that'd be great. We yeah, can we can look at that. Well, thank you, Nick. It's been fantastic, fantastic conversation. Yeah, thank you, Grant. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it, and I look forward to same our next one. So, everyone, thank you for Me listening, too. and be great to connect with you again. Um, let us know any comments or thoughts, or maybe areas that you would like to to hear more from uh, in in future episodes. So, uh, for now, goodbye and uh, enjoy diving into ecstasy. <laughs> Bye. Thank you.